Um, we are in Daniel chapter 12 today. So if you've been following along with us, you'll, you'll notice. You'll notice that we skipped a couple chapters. And some of you who are rule follower, linear type people are really upset about that. And I just wanted to say publicly, I'm sorry that you're upset. But go read it. Um, and and uh, I'm sure you'll find some good stuff. Um, but what we're doing is we're trying to get to, trying to land the plane of the series. Um, the series is called Citizens in Exiles. We start at the beginning of the year. If you've missed some of them, I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and hear um, just kind of what the rhythm of the series has been. Because this week we're talking about hope. Next week we're talking about how we do, like this a little bit more practical next week. And then the following week, you don't want to miss it. We're actually going to have a panel of people up here, and we're going to talk about what does it look like in real life, real terms to live as a creative minority. And so we're going to get a chance that day to kind of imagine and dream and be creative together. So but we have a lot to get to. Daniel chapter 12, this is another apocalyptic dream um, that Daniel is having. And, he's, and we're kind of stepping into a vision. And so if this language sounds strange, remember, it's, it's a dream vision language, okay? Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who, who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So right off the bat, let me just tell you, this is not the easiest text, nor the text to teach on. Um, what is happening here is Daniel's getting an idea of what the future of the people of God will look like. And it's not just the people of Israel, it's more than the people of Israel. Um, and so there's a clue for us to lean in and to listen because in this it says things will get tough. Um, and, and Daniel's just kind of hoping, his expectation is, is at the end of 70 years that any moment now, okay, the exile's going to end, they will be free, everything will go back to the way it should be. And um, the message he gets through the vision is, Hey, remember how bad it was? Like when, when Jerusalem got attacked and then you got carted off into exile. Remember all that stuff? He's like, yeah, it's going to get worse. Like it doesn't get better. There's actually, it gets worse. And it sounds terrible, but at some point, the text says at some point, this idea comes about that something has to give. Like at some point, it will be resolved. There will be an end point. Um, there will be a note of resolution. Um, we see this in the language of the Psalms all the time where the psalmist will say, how long, O Lord, right? 
how long, how long, how long. There's just this groaning and waiting. And then it says at some point here, it says, at some point the people will be delivered. Um, there will be a moment that we can, we can all expect that will come, and there will be deliverance. And, um, I mean, the Israelite people know about deliverance from Egypt and all these different things, and it points to their history um, in this passage. And, and this idea of final deliverance that once and for all. And then there's this curious phrase in there that says, for all those who sleep in the dust. Did you pick up on that? Sleep in the dust. This is drawing on Genesis 3 language, right? Uh, about the dust um, and that you will eat from the dust of the earth and return to the dust and things like that. And this idea of sleep in the Old Testament is imagery for death. And so death in, in dust language for all those who are, are dead and in, in, in asleep. They're, they're actually physically dead. Um, and all the dead will be awakened, it says. Physical body resurrection from the dead. This huge promise that actually we see in Daniel. Um, not only delivered, but they'll be resurrected. And so we, we taught on the resurrection quite a bit this last September when we were in Corinthians. So I'd encourage you to go back. There's a number of weeks that we talked about that. And it says that some will be delivered from, to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel's just been given this, like, first part of this vision is just like, dang, it's going to get worse. At the end, everybody will rise to a physical body. Some will be given everlasting life, some for shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel's just going, okay, what is happening? And then Daniel says, verse 5, I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, meaning the one on the other side, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? So we get, this is the first of two questions that are asked. The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and a half a time. Then the power of the holy people has been, when, when the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. And then Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome? What will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. It's a lot of info here. Um, times and dates and things like that we're not getting into. So if you're hoping for one of those Bible prophecy charts, um, right here, light. Um, if you're hoping for one of those crazy Bible ch prophecy charts, we're just, we just don't do that. 
Um, and, and, and I'm not saying there's anything bad with that. Well, I am, kind of. There, there can be. <laughs> like if the people that predict the end of the world is like September, whatever, and then, yeah. Ultimately, that's not the point. Um, Daniel gets a chance. This is what's really interesting in this vision. Daniel actually gets a chance to ask questions and respond in the vision, right? Like it's you're having a dream and you actually have a conversation in the dream. And you don't understand it. And Daniel, um, there's two questions asked. The first one is, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? And that was one asked the other, right? Uh, One of the two men um, asked the other one. And Daniel's just like, yeah, great question. How long? And then the second question Daniel asks is, just tell me what the outcome will be. First question is really important because Daniel actually gets a frustrating response. It's like the same one that Jesus gives his disciples when Peter, they're, they're, Jesus has come back from the dead. They're all kicking it. And then one of them goes, okay, how long until that whole temple thing? And remember, remember that part? And, and Jesus is like, you don't need to know. Just keep doing what I told you to do. And remember, Daniel has been there for a long time. He's been in exile. He's upwards of 80 to 90 years old at this point. He's been in exile his entire, really most of his life since he was a teenager. And Daniel has seen heartache and difficulty. He's had lots of opportunities to die and be killed. Um, He's tired. And he just wants to know when this all is going to end. And then his question, he's like, wait a second, what will the outcome be? Okay, I just asked, someone asked just how, when will it end? My, my, I just want to know what the outcome at this point will be. What's the outcome? Imagine the desperation in his voice. I just want to know how this is going to end for my people. And the answer is what? Go your own way. It's kind of a curious answer, right? It's basically like saying, hey, Daniel, just keep going. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep living, keep trusting, keep staying faithful as you go. It says you will rest, which is a biblical way of saying you will die in Babylon, in exile, And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. You will come back and you will see it with your own eyes. You will physically see what I'm doing, what I'm up to at the end. Remember, we talked um, about a number of of months ago, we talked about the people of Jerusalem um, being buried a certain direction and then Followers of Jesus all throughout, okay, all throughout ancient Greece and all throughout all that area um, uh, where all the churches like Corinth and all that kind of stuff, archaeologists have found uh, uh, burial sites with the followers of Jesus, their feet facing Jerusalem, feet towards Jerusalem, so that when they rose, they would be facing towards Jerusalem. They actually buried people that way. And on their tombstones, it was a Latin, a lot, of, a lot of them had a Latin phrase that said, resurgem, Latin for I will arise. 
And it's just this idea just of hope and, and this is what will happen one day. Now, Daniel's life was a big deal. Um, he went through king after king after king, a couple different empires. There's that whole lion's den thing. He interpreted dreams. He had some very vivid dreams of his own. He saw the future of the world. He saw some heavenly beings like in this passage. And all he gets at the end is, you're going to die here. You're going to die in exile. And to be honest with you, that's kind of a bummer. And when I think about expectations, I mean, we all have expectations in life, right? Like certain things you just expect to happen based on the culture around you. And I think Daniel just had this expectation of reading Jeremiah and reading um, some of the prophets that this would end within his lifetime. And, and he wanted a finale and he wanted an ending for, his peop- the, for the people of God. And so we have to ask about what this hope is from Daniel's point of view, Right? Daniel's point of view, he knows that there's more suffering coming, there's more exile coming, and he knows it's going to get worse before it gets better. And, and, and what would move Daniel forward and give him hope? Right? What would, what would actually push him forward? Same thing happens in our lives. Over and over and over again. We have things that happen in our lives. We have expectations in our lives that, 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 that are unmet. Like when a promotion goes to someone else. When we're waiting to be pregnant, well, not me, but some people, weird. When we're yearning not to be lonely anymore, right? We just think, by this point in my life, I shouldn't be lonely. What kind of hope would move Daniel forward? What would propel Daniel forward? And, And why do we hope, how do we hope in the midst of exile? Um, If you missed last week, we talked about the difference between an empire and a kingdom. And the reality is that all of us are living in an empire. And with that comes a life of sadness and disappointment and uh, 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 things that are happening around us. And when we're really, really astute, we can see them happening in us because of the culture we live in. So where do we go with this? The cost of living as a creative minority... Is, and rooted deep into that is the calling to live faithfully, the calling to live sacrificially, and the calling to live humbly, right? Even unto death, even in the midst of what we experience. And it's easy to bypass the little things um, that, that don't get fulfilled in our lives. But what's happening here is what's really under, uh, important to understand is the Hope is like on the same, uh, it's part of the same coin as faithfulness. So you flip the coin over, on one side is hope, the other side has to be faithfulness. And I got a definition up here, we're going to throw up a definition of hope. Hope is, if Nick can find it, you, you find it Nick? I can just read it Nick, here it is. Hope is the absolute expectation of the coming good based on the very character of God. That's what hope is. Hope is the absolute expectation of the coming good based on the very character of God. And it's said that what you hope for shapes how you live. Okay? And so a couple years ago, we did a series in Thessalonians, and we called it People of the Future. And we've used that language over and over and over again because... 
how you hope, what you look forward to, what your expectations are of how God will finish things out, not only for you, but for this world, shapes how you live right now. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's not going to be on the screen, but he says this, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. Okay, we get this out of Daniel in a number of different places. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. That make sense? Our hope changes how we live. Now, all of us can relate to a need for hope, particularly if we try to live creatively and intelligently and, in, 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 and intentionally as followers of Jesus. Like, we all need hope. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about maybe four ideas about how this works out, how we think about hope. Now, some of you in this room are genuinely optimistic people, okay? Any optimists in here? Like four. The rest of you are pessimists, that's fine. You know, we're just realists, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like glass half empty and half full people, right? Glass half full people are like, man, Look what I got. Glass half empty or people are like, yeah, but you still don't have a full glass, right? So optimism and hope aren't the same thing. I just want you to know that. So that if you're genuinely more of a glass half empty person, it doesn't mean that you, have a hard, uh, that you have a harder time hoping. What I'm saying is that optimism is usually based on your ability to do something yourself or to see the outcome yourself. Hope is really... It's rooted and dependent on somebody else to accomplish it. And for us, that is Jesus of, Na of Nazareth. And so hope reflects the deepest heart of God, and, and it's part of God. And his desire for us is not only uh, just for us to experience just something here on earth, but he, his desire for us is to experience the joy and the hope of what is to come. And that's why Hebrews language is about fixing eyes on Jesus. Uh, the, the book of Hebrews... By the way, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is so, so much linked to Daniel. And if you read the book of Hebrews, it's actually to a group of people, to a group of Jewish followers of Jesus living in and around Jerusalem at its worst point. And so we get a lot of this language also out of Hebrews. So here's four quick things to kind of help us kind of generate what it looks like to hope. The first one is this. Hope is rooted in a person and a promise, not a circumstance. And this is so important for all of us who, who we all have circumstances, right? We all go through different things. The word deliverance in the passage is actually an image of a woman who's about to give birth. And, and it's like a woman who's 38 weeks and there's an imminency to this baby coming. And, and, and we look, and, and that's the idea behind deliverance in this passage, that this child is coming, this is going to happen, and, and this person is coming. And, and you, could have, you could have a long list of things to be discouraged about. Let's just be honest, circumstantially. 
And if you apprentice Jesus, you have a rescuer coming. That's the idea. There is deliverance coming. The second thing I want to make sure we understand is that hope requires patience. It's like a fundamental requirement. Daniel is a very patient, faithful guy. Um, early Christian scholar named Tertullian, he wrote this. In poverty, patience supplies consolation. Upon wealth, it imposes moderation. The sick it does not destroy, nor does it, for the man in health, prolong his life. For the man of faith is a source of delight. It attracts the heathen, recommends the slave to his master, the master to God. It adorns a woman, perfects a man. It is loved in a child, praised in a youth, esteemed in the aged. In both man and woman, at every age of life, it is exceedingly attractive. There's a book uh, by a guy named Alan Kreider, and he wrote about patience in the early church. And he said the fundamental thing of all the writings of the early church, they didn't do, they didn't do a treatise on evangelism. They didn't do a treatise on uh, fighting the man or, or, or you know, fighting for your rights as Christians. They didn't do anything like that. Most of the treaties they wrote to each other, these are like sermons and books and encouragements to the church as a whole, were on patience. How to live patiently. Problem is for you and me, we live in narratives of like Netflix and TV and movies where things get just wrapped up in two hours. You know, things get fixed and finalized. But the problem is we also live in a world where the cancer comes back, right? Or the cancer's still here. Or I'm still lonely and I've been married for 10 years. Right? Things like that in our lives. Hope demands patience. Hope needs a future in order to exist. That means waiting will be inevitable. Patience will be inevitable. It will be on the agenda for you and for me. That's awesome. Hope and Spanish are the same word. Hope in Spanish. Hope in Spanish is the same as waiting is what I meant to say. See, I'm not used to this back and forth dialogue. Oh, man. Well, let's pray. We're done. What's the word, Dan? Nice. That's awesome. We just need that the more you know soundtrack right now. Do, 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 do. All right. Thanks, Dan. Third one is this. Hope demands that we look forward. Prophet Jeremiah looking forward. Daniel's looking forward. Daniel didn't squander his time worried about what wasn't, but he was looking forward to what wasn't yet. Sure, he was disappointed in what wasn't, but he was looking forward to what wasn't yet. Many of you in this room um, just have had a hard few weeks. Uh, friends passing away. 
Uh, we've had some folks connected to our church that have a cancer is back. Um, addiction of friends and family. And we're just, this idea of longing for a different day, right, is always just kind of right there with us. I was, um, some of you know that I spend some time with the Arvada police as a chaplain. And we get updates on things that have happened in the city that different officers, different calls that officers have gone on. And the reason why the chaplains get that is so that we can reach out to some of these officers were on really difficult calls. And so the other day I was on a ride along with an officer, just getting to know him. And we got called to a bank robbery. Well, we weren't the first ones on scene, so we were looking, we were driving around looking for this suspect. And it was kind of quiet. I said, hey, I noticed you were on that call a few weeks ago. And he closed his eyes and he put his head down. He was like, yeah, that was a hard one. I said, how are you processing that? And he said, I don't know. I really don't know. See, he, he was the first one on scene of a 15-year-old girl who hung herself. And he had to cut her down. And when the scene was all over with, he had to get back in his car and go to the next call. And I said, so how are you processing it now? And he's like, well, to be honest with you, I, I just lay in bed at night. And I really don't know what to do. And he's like, twice, and I talked to him yesterday, twice he's at the house just praying for the family. We long for a different day, right? Well, there is an addiction in cancer and suicide. Or there aren't teenagers who are struggling with their identity and what life looks like. Lee Beach wrote this in The Church in Exile. He said, in the knowledge that there is a future that, while mysterious in its details, is still ahead of us. Though we currently live our ultimate home, hope that one day we will no longer be strangers in the world. That there will be a homecoming to end our exilic journey and bring us to a place where we will ultimately, that we're ultimately created to live. There's this expectation in scripture. And we read it in Hebrews 11. He says, these were all commanded, these were faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. So this idea that the, the, all these major people in scriptures, the Daniels, the Moseses, all that kind of stuff, they, they got to see some things, but they didn't get to see the full version, right? They got to see part, but they didn't get to see in full. And the last thing I want to say is hope shows us our place in redemptive history. There is a place for you and I. Now we stand out, okay, in a world full of despair, you could really stand out like a sore thumb as someone with hope. 
I never really understood that. Stand out like a sore thumb. Is that just because it's like red and big? Is that where that comes from? I don't get it. The idea is this. We've been talking about this idea of you either separate from your culture sometimes or you become just like your culture and how this is giving us a different way to live. Separating from our culture in times of, of discouragement and despair would be like, hey, let's separate, let's stick to ourselves, uh, ourselves, let's, you know, plug our ears and not listen to what's happening out there, and let's just, you know, hum a Chris Tomlin tune, plug our ears, and just get through this. But we're called to engage with hope. The other side of it is this syncretism, right? And it's easy to get caught up for many of us right now in like this bitter, deep polarization of our society. Like the, the kind of like argumentation that's happening in our world right now. It's easy for us to get sucked into that. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, uh, not friend of mine, I mean, I know of him. He wrote this in a tweet just recently. He said, I have a hundred political comments and tweets that I want to send every day, but I realize that they will only add to the noise. Instead, I channel my angst into prayer. It's done my heart so much good and removed so much disillusionment, anger, and bitterness from my soul. Right? Like, this is like the stuff that just pulls us to be a part of just how this world operates. But he's saying, no, this is what I've done instead. I've, I've withdrawn from that, and it's changed how I can actually do things in this world. See, I think it's time for the people of Jesus, okay, to show a little bit more resilience again. I think it's time for us to, because hope is something that the world around us wants and needs. Uh, Romans 5.5 5 says this hope will not disappoint us. Uh, hope changes the game uh, for people around us. It will impact people when we demonstrate to the entire world what hope actually looks like. Instead of, uh, like, like, here's an idea. Tell people why the election isn't everything. Tell people why the stock market isn't everything. Tell people why busyness doesn't mean you're wor more worthy. Tell people why happiness isn't a product of your earning potential. Like, model that, show that to a world that is actually just stuck in this, like, hopeless rut. We are the people of hope, and we're in exile. And so, listen, I know none of this is new to you. But if you're like me, you need to hear it over and over and over again. And I tend to be an optimistic person. And it's funny because some of you who know me, when you're around me in some of my jaded and critical moments, um, you don't know what to do with that, <laughs> like when I'm really jaded and critical. And, and to be honest with you, even as someone who's your pastor, who, who does um, a lot around here in this regards, the idea is that Many times I really don't have much else to give. Um, Angela notices it. Um, my kids notice it when I'm extra jerky. Um, and I've had to draw on the words of Jesus, especially recently. In John 15, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm just reminded of this today. I'm reminded of this when I'm thinking about the life of Daniel, thinking about the world we live in, thinking about what it looks like to actually survive exile well, to not only survive it, but to thrive in it. Mark Sayers, um, who I've quoted in the last couple of weeks, said this, we must learn again to abide in the Father Building our public profile is always a much easier task, measurable and tangible. To learn to abide in Christ, we must also break from the lures that surround us while still offering good news to the culture that seduces us. Right? It's like this tension. Remain in me. And when you do that, you actually break free from the stuff that that is happening in this culture that actually has its tentacles into you, you actually break free from that stuff, but you still get a chance to offer the good news to the culture that seduces you. So this, this morning, what I want to do in ending is to remind us, number one, what the gospel is. And number two, I want to give us an opportunity to pray. Just to pray. And for some of us in the room, this might be um, a bit of maybe confession, like here's what I've put my hope into, and I know it's not working out. Might be some of that. For some of you in the room, you are just in a genuinely hard season. There's just been a wave of disappointment and grief and pain in your life. And so for some of us in here, it might be an act of just, God, I need hope. I need it. I feel like I'm dying here. And for some of us, it just might be a, a recommitment to remaining in Jesus. Because the gospel is the good news that God, the creator, has come to rescue us from sin to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish his kingdom through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. Basically, the gospel is the good news that Jesus is Lord and everything else comes from that. 